Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. I'm a designer, principal, and brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, I chat with designer and letterer Lauren Hom. Now, if you listen closely, you will probably hear everything from crickets to frogs to the occasional dog, rooster, and gecko in the background because we're reaching Lauren from the other side of the world. Uh, so as you notice those noises and sounds, I hope those aren't too distracting for you. I thought it was delightful. Maybe it will even put you in a more relaxed state. While you're in that relaxed state, please enjoy my conversation with Lauren Hom. Okay, guys, we have a special treat for you today because through the magic of Skype, which is what we use to conduct these interviews, we are actually talking through the time machine because our new guest, Lauren Hom, is literally 12 hours ahead of us. And if you hear a little bit of a lull of the background noise, that is frogs and crickets and all kinds of whatnot in Bali, Indonesia, Lauren Hom, thank you so much for being on Obsessed with Design. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so for those of you not familiar with Lauren's work, check out homsweethom.com. That's H-O-M sweethom.com. And Lauren is a uh, designer and letterer who is currently traveling the world, as you may have guessed from that, uh, that intro. Yep, that's me. So Lauren, how did you come to find yourself in Bali, Indonesia? Gosh, how did I get here? Um, I got here by, by way of San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> I uh, used to be a designer in New York City. I lived there for almost seven years. And early uh, this year, I decided I had been working from home uh, for about two and a half years. And I woke up one morning and I was like, hey, wait, I work from home and and I can pretty much do this anywhere. I've been here for seven years. Maybe I should go somewhere else and like see other places. And so I kind of packed up and left and I've been traveling ever since, kind of running an on the road design studio, uh, just me. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was in South America, Europe, and now I am in Southeast Asia. Well, through the magic of um, the Twitterverse, I think one of our listeners had tweeted out a few people that they wanted to hear us interview next, which is one of the challenges that we give frequently at the end of the show. So we'll just plug that here now. <laughs> Tweet to Ad Obsessed Show if you have anybody else you want to hear us interview. But um, you were high on the list of the uh, the Twitter list. So awesome that we were able to Aww, connect yay. and ultimately make this happen. So you get some fans out there in the Twitterverse. Absolutely. Hello, fans in the Twitterverse. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the questions I love asking everybody, and you've maybe kind of alluded to part of this already, but tell us a little bit about your your origin story and how you found your way into this creative universe of design and lettering. Oh, Creative universe of design and lettering. Cool. Um, well, I was always pretty creative from a young age. Um, I ended up going to the School of Visual Arts uh, to study advertising, like creative advertising. And I had chosen advertising because, you know, my parents were always supportive and they meant well, but I also knew they were f would freak out 
I just like did fine art or painting. And so I don't know, I was always kind of fed that that all too common narrative that if you want to do art, like prepare to be a starving artist, I didn't really know anything else. And so creative advertising seemed like the perfect intersection between doing something creative, but also like making a good living. So I went to school for that. Uh, and that's kind of how I made my way into like the creative space, I suppose. But I had always loved to draw and I just never stopped drawing on the side. I, my break into the lettering world, which was still pretty new to me was in 2012, which doesn't seem that long ago, actually. Um, I, I was a senior in college and I had taken one typography class, uh, because it was required and I really liked it, but I never really gave it a second thought because I was going to be an art director at an advertising agency and didn't really need to specialize in it. But I came up with an idea for a blog uh, slash project and I knew it had to be hand lettering. And so I had no hand lettering skills. Like I had decent handwriting and knew kind of the basics of how to craft a letter form. But other than that, I just kind of went for it and taught myself. And the first, you know, 10 or 20 of them weren't very good, but eventually they got a little better. Um, and so I'm pretty much a self-taught hand letter in this blog. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's called daily dishonesty. And basically I, uh, hand lettered all like the little white lies that we tell ourselves. So, uh, calories don't count on the weekends or I'll be there in five minutes, even though you haven't left the house yet. So just all those little like funny, uh, <laughs> things we lie about that I, I just thought were funny to me and my friends, but I didn't realize how relatable they were to the internet. And so, you know, with no plan in mind, I started lettering these little things and they I started a blog of them uh, just for fun, had no intention of becoming a letterer or ever doing anything with it. It was just, I wanted to have this little corner of the internet that was mine and that I, oh, there is a dog fight breaking out in the background. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was going to go with monkeys, but uh, dog, good to know that's dogs. Wild dogs for sure. Um, they're really sweet in person, but they sound just like the worst. Uh, so yeah, anyways, the, they circulated around the internet and I started getting work. And even though my lettering wasn't like amazing yet, people, it got me exposure and people started hiring me and, you know, I would take a little project here and there. And uh, it wasn't long before I realized that this could be like a viable thing. Um, and long story short, I was able to leave, my full-time job in the ad industry pretty quickly uh, because this was just like a better plan B. My plan B overtook my plan A. <laughs> so I'm especially jealous that um, your plan B is also this uh, this whole travel thing. So, you know, as you're, you know, traveling the world and doing lettering and design, maybe mm -hmm. you can tell us about, um, you know, in, in the midst of paradise or what, whatever locale you're at at that time, um, what's a normal day look like for you? Like how, how many days a week are you actually doing client work or doing just work for yourself or how often are you just out exploring and kind of seeing the sights? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough thing because, you know, I, I am not, I know I'm not on vacation and I have to tell myself this all the time, but I'm also, you know, not working in a normal office and I'm Definitely. I wanted, I left, I left New York to kind of break up that kind of pace of life. And to be honest, uh, ever since I started freelancing, for those of you who haven't freelanced, it's, it's not any better. It's just so different. You have to kind of readjust your expectations and your lifestyle and just be a little bit more resilient uh, and flexible, I suppose. For me, there, 
is no typical day. I can give you like an overview of maybe a typical week. Um, because of the nature of my work, I do a lot of advertising and editorial work. Um, and so sometimes I work 60 hours a week and I'm just working my butt off and that's, you know, the case. And I don't really, you know, even if I'm in Bali, I don't really do much. It's really just like me being at my house in New York or like in a regular office, just head down, like earphones in, uh, working. Cause sometimes there are crazy deadlines, but other times, you know, I went through, gosh, a three week period, uh, earlier this year where I had no work and that was kind of new for me. And, uh, after I finished freaking out, uh, that I was never going to work again, I like, I actually started just pretending like I was on vacation. And so the balance that I've struck, uh, with the travel and work, work is that when I'm working, I'm working and that's great. And I'm grateful. And it's just like, I'm in an office when I'm not working, I'm on vacation. And so the best way I can describe it is my life is actually no different than it was in New York. Uh, when it comes to workflow, like I get up, like, uh, whatever time I want or depending on when my uh, deadlines are and I'll work and then maybe do a half day of work and then explore the rest. Um, and so, yeah, there really is, I guess, no typical day. Uh, I'd say it's it's pretty 50-50, just kind of work and, and play. And, you know, if I had a day off in New York, I would maybe go to my local coffee shop or go to the park and just relax. But now, you know, when I have a day off, I just happen to be in Indonesia and I can go, you know, beach hopping or rent a motorbike <laughs> and travel around the island. So it's just kind of an opportune placement, I suppose. <laughs> So maybe that's a good segue to talk a little bit about during your travels. I was reading a little on your blog, uh, about mm -hmm. your whole no photos, please concept. And, um, the, the idea that you're actually not taking photographs and yes. kind of building this book of your travels. So tell us a little bit about the book and, and the impetus for that. Absolutely. Um, so when I decided I was going to leave to travel the world, uh, the first thing my friends would ask me when I told them, they were like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see all the photos you're going to post. Like you're going to be like Instagram envy, like forever. <laughs> and I, I laughed and I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to take photos. And then I kind of had this aha moment where I was like, wait, I'm not a photographer. I'm an illustrator and I like to draw and it's 2016 and you can pretty much Google any of the places I'm going, you can Google Bali, Indonesia, you can Google Cusco, Peru, you can Google Prague, Czech Republic, and get a whole bevy of beautiful professional images that have been taken of these cities and all the things you can do there. Like travel, multiple travel guides have been written about all these places. And I realized it would be a more unique lens for me to share my travels through drawing and lettering and sketching rather than photographs. Because pretty much if you go on Instagram and and you click on any geotag, whether it's Machu Picchu or any kind of landmark or place in the world, you pretty much see all the same photos. And so I thought it would just be more interesting for me to share my travel through like visual journaling and in my sketchbook. So that's what I've been doing. And I really have been refraining from not taking any photos of sunsets or selfies or any overhead shots of perfectly posed brunch. <laughs> and it's been a really good creative exercise <laughs> for me. That's the it's really hard a, one to resist. It's super hard. Um, it's been a really good creative exercise for me just because especially in New York and I don't know if you feel this way are you based in Indiana yeah we're in Indianapolis awesome you know I just in the states I found myself always on my phone like if I ever had a free minute like waiting in line or waiting for food to get to the table or 
a lull in conversation, people just kind of whip out their phones and, you know, one, I'm not allowed to take photos. And two, you know, because I'm traveling internationally, I, and I'm pretty frugal, I bought like the cheapest international data plan for my phone. And so I don't have like unlimited data like I'm, I'm used to. And so I just can't be on my phone as much. And it's been really refreshing, actually, to just be able to sit and to take out my sketchbook instead, or just to be present. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we all, we've all been to a concert, right? And there's that one guy who's the second the concert starts, takes out his phone and starts recording and you, he doesn't put it away like the whole concert and you're looking at him and you're going, what are you doing? Like it, the concert's right in front of you and you're watching it through this tiny little, like what, five inch screen. And so I just really liked the idea of trying to be more mindful and more present in my travels. Where all have you been so far and what's kind of still on your, um, geographical checklist here? Ooh, um, I spent four months in South America, uh, Uruguay, Argentina, Bolivia, and Peru, uh, with a little stop in Brazil. And then I made my way to London, uh, Prague, Berlin, Budapest, um, Copenhagen, and, then I had to fly back to San Francisco for work. And so I popped back through the States, went to San Francisco, popped down to LA, said hi to my family, um, gave my grandma a hug, and then uh, just got to Southeast Asia at the beginning of this month. Uh, I think I'm going to be here for a while. It's pretty fantastic if you haven't been. This is my first time uh, in this corner of the world, and it's totally right up my alley. Like I grew up by the beach in California, so all of the lush tropical vibes here are absolutely my thing. I'm going to Thailand next. And then after that, maybe Vietnam, Australia, Japan, I have no idea. I really only have until the end of the year planned. And it's the first time in my life that I haven't had like an idea of what I'll be doing in, you know, five, six months back in New York, I kind of had a rough idea of what life would be like. And now it's just kind of thrown out the window, but it's very exciting. And it's, I found that it's been good for my inspiration and creativity to constantly be changing it up every month. So here's the thing that I'm guessing some yes. listeners are thinking, and it's um, the uh, what sounds like an apparent conflict between that you're very frugal and that you're going to all these amazing places. So how do you how do you make that happen? <laughs> um, I mean, the truth is, I before you know starting or deciding to go travel, I had originally been under the impression that travel was expensive and and kind of had to be expensive, and it. I actually, since I left, with the exception of London, of course, I have been saving money. I save more money traveling the world than I do living in New York City, which sounds nuts. But if, you lived, if you've lived in New York City, you know how expensive it mm -hmm. is. And so I think for me, I have a slightly different lens because I lived in New York for seven years and I'm used to paying I don't even want to say the number for rent, <laughs> um, but to give you, to give you an idea, the, an average one bedroom apartment, uh, in the area of Brooklyn I, I lived in is going to run you $2,500 a month, $3,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, I, I had no idea that I would be saving money and I, I had budgeted and I had saved before I left for this trip, but I think some people might look at what I'm doing and think I'm just, you know, traveling and having a great time. And I'm actually working most of the time. I'm, uh, ever since I went, I always tell this to people when they talk about freelance too, I work just as hard, if not harder than I did when I was at my full-time job, uh, as a freelancer. 
because you just, you kind of have to make everything happen for yourself and you're a hundred percent accountable, which is awesome. You can't really defer any blame to the, you know, project manager or just the industry or whatever. And yeah, I, I, so I've been working this whole year just as I normally would. So I have sustainable income and yeah, I mean, South America, uh, and in Southeast Asia and in parts of Europe, the U S dollar is still fairly strong. So you do have a bit more more spending power and, you know, a month at a small guest house or hotel in the States would just run up a crazy bill. But in Cusco, for example, it's not so bad or in, Indonesia, you can pretty, or actually no, in, in Chiang Mai, where I'm going next, I've been doing my research and you can pretty much get a one bedroom apartment for like three or 400 bucks a month. And so it's actually very economical to travel. Yeah, uh, and awesome. so if you think it's, if you think it's expensive, the only, I'd say the biggest expense is the initial flight, like whatever the big flight is you're doing from your home to the faraway place. But mm-hmm. after that, like once you get to a continent or a country, trains and buses and ferries, all that stuff goes a long way. Um, and like I said, this, people don't realize the spending power is actually quite good. So, yeah, I mean, a, a meal to go eat at a restaurant in Indonesia or like street food. Let's say street food, for example. I got breakfast the other day at a street market uh, for 75 cents. <laughs> uh, so it's really actually... I kid you not, you would, depending on where you're from in the States or wherever you are, you would pro you can probably save money being a traveling designer rather than having like a brick and mortar place in your hometown, which sounds nuts. I know. <laughs> I want to know how many listeners are, uh, quitting their jobs right now as they're listening, Packing their bags. writing, writing up their letter. That is, I think the future of like the workforce, especially with designers as more and more of us, you know, we have the internet to show our portfolios. There's no more like hard copies really being mailed and in-person meetings have been replaced by Skype calls. Like look at, look at what you and I are doing. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. If I had better internet, we'd be face to face, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, I think more and more people and employers are realizing that people don't want to be in an office from nine to five, especially creatives, because I don't know about you, but I, there are some days where I wake up and I, really am feeling working in the morning and I have like a good work session then and or sometimes inspiration strikes at what like 10 p.m. and then you're up all night doing this awesome project and I don't think it's reasonable to say that all people especially creative people can be their best at an office from the hours of nine to five I just don't think it's it's reasonable <laughs> yeah it's definitely not a uh, a one-size-fits-all that's for sure no and I, de- I definitely think it works for some people but you know, the beauty of being creative is that it kind of seeps into the, into other aspects of our lives. And if we can get creative with our work and our jobs, I think we can also get creative with how we work and where we work and when we work. And so I think more and more designers are kind of demanding a little more flexibility with their schedules. Maybe to segue a little bit, you've got some amazing work and I, I especially love the piece on your website, your, uh, namaste in bed all day, (laughs) (laughs) which appeals to my, uh, my fan of, of puns, but also some work for, uh, you know, the likes of Starbucks and Google and Mm AT&T. And so how do you feel like you have attracted, um, some of your best clients? Ooh, Um, I think it's been a combination of, gosh, 
obviously having, you know, an interesting style and good work, but also just being kind of visible on the internet and having my work seen has played a big part in me landing these bigger clients. Um, it wasn't like an overnight thing. It, gosh, when I first started doing this, my biggest, when I first started lettering, my biggest client was the Dallas Fort Worth airport. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had done some signage for one of their like campaigns. I don't even know if it ever saw the light of day, but I did the work and I was super proud of it. And it's been a slow build ever since. Like once you get a small, a couple small clients, then you might get a medium sized client and then you get a couple medium sized clients and then you get a, you know, a big client. And so as people see that you're working with these slightly bigger and bigger brands on these bigger projects, they just trust you. Once you prove you can do the smaller stuff, they trust you more to do the bigger things. And, um, I think I got pretty fortunate in the sense that I come from an advertising background. So all of my classmates and all of my old coworkers all work in the advertising industry because that's the industry I thought I was going to be working in. And honestly, I thought I was going to be the art director who was going to be directing all these illustrators eventually. And I'm on the other side. And because all my friends still work in advertising, luckily, you know, everyone knows a handful of designers, but lettering is still I'd say on the more niche side. And so whenever someone's like, I need a letter for this thing, I have been very lucky to have supportive friends and old coworkers who are still in the industry who will always vouch for me. Um, and yeah, just, just overall exposure. Like the reason I have my job is because I started that blog that kind of went viral on the internet. And uh, I make it a point in my spare time when I'm not doing client work to always be coming up with uh on like side projects that uh, will hopefully circulate my work. Uh, a good example of that is, I don't know if you saw, so I do a lot of chalkboard work and that started because of my Will for Lunch project. And basically I was hungover one day in New York with my roommate and we were <laughs> walking down a busy street trying to just desperately trying to find brunch. And we, I noticed as we kept walking all of the little chalkboard signs outside of the restaurants advertising their daily special or their drink special or whatever. And I noticed all of the restaurants had them. And I don't know why I had never noticed that before or really paid attention because we all know this. And they all looked terrible. No offense to any of the hostesses who wrote them. I used to be a hostess, so I know. Um, but I had this kind of aha moment where I was like, I think I could, like, I do lettering on paper and, pe- with paper and pen. Like, why couldn't I? I do it with chalk. I bet I could make that look better. And, you know, my mom always told me we eat with our eyes first. And I think that even starts off of the plate, right? Like when you see a badly designed menu or restaurant, you're, you instantly think the food is going to taste worse. Mm-hmm. And so I started this project called Will Letter for Lunch in 2014, where basically I printed flyers and I walked around to restaurants and basically pitched myself and offered my services. I said, Hey, I'm a hand letterer in the neighborhood. Uh, I see you have a chalkboard sign. Would you be willing to let me do your chalkboard sign in exchange for food? And so the concept was simple, whatever I wrote. So if I wrote a daily special spaghetti bolognese and a glass of red wine, right? Uh, I would get paid in exactly what, exactly what I wrote. And so that was the complete barter system. (laughs) And so like little, little ideas like that, that are just very personal to me and fun for me, like above all else, fun for me that I really want to do. Uh, I just kind of make them happen. And so I started 
started doing that and documenting it with photos and that made its rounds around the internet too. And that's how I have booked all, most of my client like chalk work. I basically had no chalk in my portfolio two years ago. And, you know, instead of waiting for a client to come to me or a, a project where someone needed chalk lettering, I just created one for myself and did it and proved I could do it. And now I do it professionally. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome idea. Thank you. It was very, very, very delicious. I gained a lot, lots of experience, <laughs> lots of weight. It was wonderful. <laughs> so you uh, alluded to this a little bit, but what's your typical mm -hmm. process when it comes to lettering? Are you more, um, you know, traditional, you know, brush and pen and kind of things, or do you get into more vector work or do you do a combination of both? Um, so my process for like the bulk of my work is probably 50% analog, 50% digital. I always start. So I taught myself to letter with a Sharpie, a mechanical pencil and a pad of graph paper. And those are the exact same tools I still use. There's like no, whenever people ask me what my supply list is, I'm always kind of uh, embarrassed because it's not fancy. There's nothing. It, you, I, I got everything from the drugstore. Um, <laughs> yeah. So pencil, pencil and a Sharpie is usually what I start with. And then I'll scan it in and take it into Photoshop. I work 95% in Photoshop, I'd say, unless a client absolutely needs a vector for something. I prefer just to work in Photoshop because I haven't quite mastered that like nice hand done textured feel in mm -hmm. vector. Uh, so yeah, then it's just me and my laptop and Photoshop and my Wacom tablet. And I do all of my cleaning up and coloring and editing in Photoshop. So everything black and white in pencil and paper, and then all the rest happens on the computer. <laughs> Very cool. So Lauren, tell me about one of your proudest, um, professional moments. Proudest professional moments. Ooh, I'm trying to think what, like, honestly, so one of the first, one of my first, like, super proud professional moments was walking in to Barnes and Noble in New York City and seeing my book. I thought that was really cool uh, just because I, I had just graduated college and, you know, my, my parents understand like what graphic design is and what I was going to do with my life. You should have seen the look on their faces when I told them I was going to quit my full-time job, like my nice paying full-time job after nine months to pursue illustration. Um, but you know, it's, it, I think a lot of people struggle with ex like struggle with explaining <laughs> to their parents exactly what they do. And while they can be supportive, they don't exactly know. And so to have a physical product in the world. So whenever I do a book or if I ever have a magazine out, uh, it's really nice to be able to show my parents like a tangible thing that I've done that like is in the world that people can buy. Uh, I think it makes them feel a little bit better. Um, so that was, that was a really proud moment. Um, pretty much anytime I get an email from a student who is saying something nice to me too, or especially like a female student, who says that they look up to me, I just like melt into a giant puddle on the floor uh, and have to compose myself. Um, and professionally, any other milestones? Um, my friends at Skillshare just released a little like promo video about like the overview of my work to promote my class. And it, it was, I haven't really taken a moment in the last gosh year to really reflect on like the 
progression of my career. And so to have this little like minute video, like just outline like how I got to where I am was pretty touching. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. I just think every, this is going to sound like a pageant queen answer, but I'm going to do it anyways. I honestly feel like every day that I wake up and get to draw letters and be creative and help other people and inspire other people to be creative is like a feat in itself. And that is probably a highlight, like an everyday kind of thing that I uh, derive from my job. So, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Well, we'll definitely link up to that uh, Skillshare video in the show notes. And I love that you're talking about every day as I think I am literally hearing a rooster now growing in the background, which is awesome. (laughs) The sun is going to come up in about an hour. Sunrise is 545 here. So good morning, world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm in the future. This is pretty crazy. (laughs) It's good morning tomorrow for me. So Is my flying car in your future? Because it's it's, it's definitely not, not. There are some mosquitoes here, but that's about it. <laughs> no flying car. Hmm, probably almost as big as a flying car. So, um, one of the other questions that I like to ask people is: I think it's maybe especially interesting for you in that you know you have the extreme remote point of view. But how do you? Um, pick out potential red flags or bad fits for a project or client? Like what, what are some of those things that jump out at you that make you think, uh, nope, not going to do that one. Or, you know, when the phone rings, do you just always say yes? Honestly, at this point in my career, I still say yes to most things. Um, just because I have that mentality that like I can learn something new from every project. Uh, I have representation. So my, what, thank goodness, like my, my agents really take care, like they can really sift through all like the good and the bad and kind of, I can look at it through their lens. Cause they offer me some advice on like, here's the project. This is what they're offering. This is what it outlines. Like what, like, let's, let's kind of contrast that against your schedule and see if this is going to work. Um, a red flag for me is probably, I mean, I feel like it's a pretty typical designer thing if they want like if they want me to copy something someone else has done, absolutely not. Uh, if they, sometimes you can kind of tell from the wording. I tend to only want to take projects where they like have obviously they're familiar with my work and they want, you know, a Lauren Hom like piece. You can kind of tell sometimes when someone's reaching out to you just cause like you happened to be a letterer they found and they don't really know your work and they just kind of want something. Um, so that's not necessarily a huge red flag, but that's something I'm a little wary mm. of. Uh, when the deadline is just way too crazy or unrealistic, and then obviously, you know, it's something people, it's like a touchy thing to talk about, but but money, absolutely. Um, I am a big advocate of people getting paid what they deserve. And uh, yeah, money is definitely, has been a deterrent for some things because they're, sometimes I'll take a project if the budget is low because I really believe in it or it's something that I would love to have in my portfolio uh, that I have full creative control over. Basically, the lower the budget, the more creative control I have to have. But yeah, uh, you know, everyone's trying, everyone's trying to pay, everyone's trying to uh, pay the same rent. (laughs) Like in the case of the uh, chalkboard sandwiches. And and yeah, in the case of like my Will Letter for Lunch project, that was kind of interesting to navigate because I had originally started doing these chalkboards for barter and was maybe doing one per week. I've 
did so many. There was one point in New York where I'm, I would basically dare you to walk more than 15 or 20 blocks and not see one of my chalkboards, which was pretty cool for a while. Um, I'm sure they're long gone now. But yeah, because I was doing it for barter, I actually received <laughs> mixed reviews on that. Uh, and I understand. And I had gotten some pretty, not angry, but kind of peeved uh, emails from other designers being like, you know, I, I really like your work, but you shouldn't be doing work for free. Like, why are you offering this work to restaurants? Like, you're really undermining the value of our services, blah, blah, blah. And for me, I never really saw it that way because it's not like this rest, this, you know, big, bad restaurant came to me and was like, Hey designer, we're going to pay you with a sandwich. How does that sound? It was my idea. The intention wasn't really to make money. This was a side project. And I basically, I, I think it's kind of invisible and people don't realize it, but the kind of organic publicity that I got from this project outweighed like any money I could have gotten like for the actual chalkboard artwork. Um, I got featured on Grub Street, which is New York Times, like food blog. Uh, I was on BuzzFeed. I was just kind of all, all over the food restaurant and design sphere for a while. And that is the reason why I booked so much. Like I booked so many paid projects after that, that I never really saw it as doing work for free if that makes sense. Yeah. It was really more of a, a marketing expense to you for your time. Absolutely. It was, yeah, like, like I said, above all else, it was just fun for me, but I also knew that like, if this thing picked, like went, took off, it would be great publicity as well. And, you know, I always, I always spoke with my friends and this is not, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating at all, but I am a good letterer. I, and not the best letterer in the world. I don't, actually don't know who the best letterer in the world is, but I would like to meet them. I'm good. I'm definitely like capable and I have a style. Uh, and you know, I get hired not because I'm a, like the best letterer in the world. I get hired because art directors and design directors and people who work for companies see my work all the time and it's friendly and it's inviting. And it usually in the span of a year, they'll have one or two projects that, will work for my style. And because they've seen my work, they know who I am and they can reach out. And I always tell people, no one can hire you if they don't know who you are. And so that's really, I think, my strong suit as a designer. And maybe my background in creative advertising kind of plays into that. But I am a big uh, advocate or that the reason that I am at this point in my career is just because I am resourceful and like smart and put myself out there. I'm not necessarily more talented than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's awesome that you had that, um, you know, the experience mm -hmm. from the inside. So you've seen how an ad agency works and how an art director might look for things totally. and how they interact with either photographers or illustrators or, you know, other freelance designers. And so now you can kind of scale and package your services. So it fits really nicely for what they're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like every art director has a folder on their desktop of inspiration they've pulled from, you know, design blogs and the internet. And you never know, you just, they may not necessarily have a project for me now, but if I'm kind of in their back pocket or on their desktop or kind of in the back of their mind, even in the way, way back, that's all, that's like the best thing you could do. Cause you never know when someone's going to have a project for you, especially an ad where things pop up all the time or editorial where they need, you know, one last headline illustrated. You want to be the go-to person. 
Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. Um, and apparently you've seen the uh, desktop on my computer with that one folder. <laughs> yep, I have one too, honestly. <laughs> so I feel like I could make some educated guesses here, but one of my favorite questions to ask our guests is, um, what would you say that you're most obsessed with right now? Most obsessed with in terms of design or anything? It can be anything. What am I obsessed with? Gosh. <laughs> um, well, I've always been obsessed with side projects. Uh, I think that stems from like when I first got into lettering, I obviously had seen Jessica Hish's work and she's a big advocate for side projects. And I'm always obsessed with that. I really like the idea that, you know, a, a passion project is supposed to be exactly what it sounds like. It's something that, that you work on, you know, regardless of the many, regardless of what else is going on, that just, it just kind of like fill feeds your soul. Um, so I am definitely obsessed with that right now. Actually. Okay. Right now I'm kind of obsessed with, I've gotten to this point in my career where I feel good and I feel very lucky to be doing what I'm doing and then making a good living. And I'm trying to shift a little bit of my focus from, I still wanted to design and letter, of course, and like that to be my main thing. But I have lately been thinking about how I can like use what I've learned and uh, what I know to help other people do what I'm doing and to be more creative and to kind of tap into um, their inner creative person. So yeah, just kind of, I think I've always been kind of obsessed with being better and smarter and helping other people do the same thing. <laughs> Um, I'm also obsessed with Flaming Hot Cheetos. That's like, uh, that's actually not even a little known fact. It's like in, it's in my like designer <laughs> bio. It's just, now I, I love Cheetos. Too. That's I'm a total health nut. Um, like spinach in my smoothie, like <laughs> that kind of health nut. But the one guilty pleasure that I have is Cheetos. That's like the one thing I'll, <laughs> I'll bend on. Um, I'm really interested in what is, what's the word? I don't know. Just kind of like psychology. And, uh, I watch a lot of Ted talks. I'm sure all the designers do too. <laughs> um, just general like empathy and vulnerability. And because, you know, to be mm -hmm. a better designer, I like it. It helps me when I am just a better person, like a better human, a better friend, a better daughter. And, uh, I'm really interested in just like how, humans work socially and how, you know, uh, yeah, just kind of how our emotions work and how everything kind of goes together. And that's always been very interesting for me. And I think that it's helped me tap into, that's why a lot of my projects have been successful because they're, you know, and I don't really think, think about this actively when I'm coming up with them, but I think, yeah, they are relatable and there is some humanity in them and people really resonate with it. And so I'm grateful for that, but yeah, definitely obsessed with I think internet. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to change my answer. I am obsessed with the internet. I love the internet and I feel so lucky that we live <laughs> in this. I like happen to be born in this age where I have this. Oh my gosh. Sorry. There's, there's this gecko here or this lizard that's making that crazy sound. They're all over Indonesia. <laughs> Apparently they're extremely hard to catch, but they have like some crazy medicinal use. I haven't actually seen one. They just come out at night and make that awful sound. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds like you're stepping on a squeaky toy. Exactly. Um, so yeah, back to the internet, like, you know, 50, 60 years ago, you had to mail your work to an agency or, you know, correspond via, <laughs> uh, you know, letters, which is nuts. And now I have this tiny little computer in my pocket that I just smash my thumb against and I can order a burrito. I can check, you know, what my friends are doing halfway across the world. It's pretty crazy, especially as a creative, you have access to all of this visual inspiration and this reading material. And I am definitely totally like an internet geek. Um, I also love, uh, this is back to the internet, but you know, the idea of self-publishing and how you know, back in the day, you had to be discovered, like as an actor, let's say, or a, a musician, you had to be discovered by someone pretty much like in person who happened to be at your show or happened to see you act. And that was kind of your way in. Now with YouTube and Tumblr and all these like platforms, you can just make whatever you want to make, put it out there and you can be seen. Like people get recording deals from going viral on YouTube, which is incredible and insane and amazing. And uh, that's really worked to, to my advantage and I have definitely leveraged the internet to work for me. And I, I just am constantly in awe that I have this tool that in the history of mankind has not really been around for that long. It blows my mind. Totally agree. I think we, we could probably get all of our uh, guests to just answer internet on that question and it'd be much shorter. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think those are the things that I'm obsessed with, but yeah, I, I can't really think travel, obviously, like I'm doing this crazy thing. Um, yeah, just obsessed with trying, trying new things too, like pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. And that's like a very like Pinteresty inspirational poster right there. But <laughs> it's definitely true. Like I, I actually just did an, I just did an interview with Skillshare and I said something similar and I'll say it again, but you know, one of the most important things I think that you need to be a creative or a designer is a sense of curiosity. I think above all else, just the willingness to look at something that you want to try, understand that it scares you, but still do it despite not really knowing what's going to happen or not knowing how you're going to feel about it. Just that willingness to try new things has been a very good thing for me. And I, I look for that in other people too. I feel like the, the braver I am in my everyday life, the more risks I am comfortable taking in my career. And that has worked to my advantage for sure. And so I encourage everyone to just go out and be weird and be uncomfortable. And it's, it's great. <laughs> so now that everybody is weird and uncomfortable and brave all at the same time, um, <laughs> yes. what else would you, um, you know, what would be your other piece of advice to someone who maybe not necessarily wants to do lettering, but someone else who wants to do this, uh, you know, remote lifestyle, or maybe there's a better way to say it, but see the world and, or maybe it's just see, you know, see the Midwest, you know, maybe it's as simple as not go to somewhere exotic, but they want to travel and do different things and not be tied down to, to one location. So what would your advice be to that person? Oh yeah. Ooh. Um, well I never intended on becoming location independent. I think the, the term that's like floating around the internet right now is digital nomad. That's what everyone refers to like remote workers as. And yeah, you made a good point. Like, like you don't have to quit your job and then 
go to Indonesia, you could quit your job and just work from home or go travel locally. Like the beauty of being location independent is that, you know, for me, I get to travel the world for someone else. It might be spending more time with their family or, you know, pursuing another interest or just being less stressed or not having to commute an hour and a half to work every day. That could be like the gold for someone. And I guess my advice to someone who wants to work remotely is, uh, you know, even if, even when I was working at my full-time job, uh, uh, at the agency in New York, I would still draw on the side and do my side projects. Honestly, my advice is to, I don't know, just kind of be scheming in the background and be proactive and make projects. And even if it's as simple as posting your work on Instagram or posting sketches or works in progress, like start kind of getting your work out there and let people know you're available for freelance and start dabbling in freelance on the side, even if you are working full time. And I know it's super exhausting to go to work all day and to come home and then to work more. But that's something that I did for, you know, a year or two. And it really paid off. Like the reason that I can work remotely is because I generated enough exposure for my work to get enough clients to sustain that. And I think if you asked any other freelance designer, they'd pretty much tell you the same thing. Like you just, it's what I like about freelancing and work, like working for myself is that, like I mentioned before, like the hundred percent accountability, if I'm not getting work, it's no one else's fault, but my own. And I definitely like knowing that and like knowing I don't really have the safety net of a paycheck coming in every two weeks helps me be smarter and work and like kind of have like a fire lit under my butt to just always kind of be on top of my game because if I slip up then surprise no money this month (laughs) (laughs) um and so yeah my my advice would be to slowly it's not going to happen overnight but slowly position yourself to you know be more remote even if it's part-time remote a lot of companies are willing to negotiate with you a part-time remote gig too you'd be surprised like if you suggested like hey I want to work from home one day a week and then two days a week, and it can eventually transition into full-time remote. But what I realized is most jobs can be done without, you know, being in person or being in an office. And I actually, when I was at my full-time job, I don't know if if you've ever felt this way, but I found myself spending more time trying to look busy than actually being busy. (laughs) Um, You know, I would get into work at nine, I'd get a coffee, chat with coworkers, check my email, like look around design blogs for inspiration, uh, and then, you know, get a brief kind of poke, poke, poke around at it, uh, do whatever my boss needed me to do. And then it was lunch. And then I'd come back from lunch and I'd be full and I'd be sleepy. And then I would just not really get much done, do one more thing for my boss and go home. And, you know, you end up wasting a lot of time that could just be better spent at home or with your family or exercising or doing something else that you're passionate about. Cause work doesn't have to be everything. Um, so yeah, back to the question, just yeah, get start start doing little bits of freelance work or start putting your work out there more and position yourself to have more remote work because there's definitely things that can be done. <laughs> awesome. Well, as I can hear even more of uh, Bali is waking up behind you. Um, it has been <laughs> awesome chatting with you and uh, it's uh, been a pleasure to, to talk to you. But uh, before we let you go, maybe tell us a little bit about where our listeners can track you down, find you online, buy your stuff, like where, where are good URLs and we'll link to it in the show notes. Totally. Um, 
Hello, Internet. I am all over the Internet. Uh, you can find me. I think you mentioned it. HomeSweetHome.com. It's like Home Sweet Home without the E's in home. Um, I'm pretty much on the Internet as Home Sweet Home everywhere. So you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Twitter, I recently just changed because I had originally gotten Home Sweet Home, but then forgot the password. And that was a whole fiasco. So uh, <laughs> my Twitter handle is Home. Get, get this. It's, it's pretty brilliant. My Twitter handle is Hom Tweet Hom, uh, so you can find me there. <laughs> um, you can buy I, my books in stores, Amazon. Gosh, I don't know. I can send you the link for Amazon later. But I just came out with a new journal that's pretty cute. Uh, that's available through Abrams Books on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all all the big things. If you just wanted to like Google me too, that's an easy way to find me. Um, but but when I, I remember when I was first starting. When I first got my website up, like back in, gosh, 2009, I wanted LaurenHom.com, but it was taken by another Lauren Hom who was a photographer. And I was like, oh, no, there's already another creative Lauren Hom. Um, but I'm pretty sure if you Google Lauren Hom design, you can find me or lettering. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's me. Um, Instagram's probably the best way to keep in touch with me. I... As, addict, as as much as I try to be off my phone, Instagram is my one one weakness for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we will link up to all of that stuff in the show notes. So thanks again for joining us today. And Absolutely. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, guys, that was episode number 44 in the books. Thank you so much for helping us spread the word. And if you would today... Tweet at Obsessed Show and tell me who you'd like to hear us interview next. Lauren was actually a referral from the Twitterverse, so we are listening, we are paying attention. Tweet at Obsessed Show and we'll see if we can get your favorite designer on a future episode. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located on the 13th floor beautiful circle tower in downtown indianapolis hit us up online we are at milesherndon.com our intro music is matchbox girl by kazzy joe and our show is always edited by jen eds at the brassy broadcast company visit brassybroad.com and jen thanks for not taking all the crickets geckos and roosters out of this episode thanks and we'll see you next time